0: So we are continuing our study of the Lord's Prayer and we spent the first few weeks focusing on Jesus' model prayer to us about who God is and his attributes and his greatness. But last week we shift to the second half of this prayer which focuses more on us and our needs. So last week we looked at the prayer of provision which Jesus models for us in praying for daily bread. And today we look at a prayer surrounding the topic of forgiveness, specifically verse 12, which reads, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The topic of forgiveness is not just a big deal within the life of the church. It's a big deal across society as a whole, especially right now. So many of you are familiar with the term that originated with probably within the last five years known as cancel culture. Is that issue not an issue of forgiveness in many ways? Not allowing people's flaws to define them for the rest of their time on this planet. It got me thinking about some more common and more recent discussions surrounding This idea of cancel culture. I read an article just the other day. There was an editor by the name of Alexi McCammond, 27 years old, was slated to take over as the new editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue magazine. Now, just let me... I don't read Teen Vogue. I just want you to know that. But for the purposes of the illustration, this was the magazine that she was slated to take over. Until... Some people started doing some digging, and they found that when she was 17 years old, she had tweeted some very insensitive comments. So what does Teen Vogue do? They pulled the plug on her becoming editor-in-chief of that magazine, J.K. Rowling or Rowling. I'm not a Harry Potter guy, so I don't really know how you pronounce it. But I do know that she came under some fire a few years ago when she spoke out against the idea of transgender rights because she said it's ultimately going to basically decrease women's rights as a whole. And she took a hit for that. We all know the story of Colin Kaepernick, the San Francisco 49ers quarterback who took a knee during the national anthem as a sign of protest against racial inequality and police brutality. And he has never played another game in the NFL since he did that act. At the end of that season, the 49ers hired a new coach. They released Kaepernick. And every once in a while, we hear these stories of him trying out for teams. But he has never played for another NFL team since that happened. Now, I'm not here to judge the actions of any of these individuals, but rather to illustrate for you that they have all been, quote or unquote, canceled for what they have done. Offering forgiveness, of course, does not mean that one can avoid consequences, but as we approach this topic today and what Jesus is teaching on, let us be very careful that we as Christians do not fall prey to the same cancel culture that we see happening all around us. Christians are to be the ones leading the way in forgiveness, no matter what a person has done. So how do we biblically understand this topic of forgiveness? More specifically, what does Jesus mean when he models this for us? Two key principles to remember today as we walk through this text. Number one, Christians are a forgiven people. And then number two, Christians are a forgiving people. Christians are a forgiven people, but they're also a forgiving people. Jesus' prayer models for us in this verse that sin is a moral debt. We have violated the standard of perfection and complete holiness that God requires of human beings. So in order to properly understand forgiveness, according to Jesus, we have to first have a proper theology of sin. What makes us need to be forgiven? And that is, of course, sin. While we don't have time to unpack the entire narrative, if you turn into Genesis 3, you see the most famous account of sin, that being the first sin in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve. And in verse 1, Moses records for us this. Did God actually say, this is the words of the serpent, of course, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What is significant about the way Moses constructs this? This verse communicates to us that a primary understanding of sin begins with doubting that God actually knows what is best for humanity. Sin stems from an understanding within our minds and hearts that God really doesn't know what he's talking about. That's why the serpent uses Adam and Eve to begin to doubt. Did God actually say this? That is what sin is at its core, thinking that we know better than God. Von Roberts, in his book that I've quoted a lot recently, God's Big Picture, he says this Why did God not want them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Surely it is good to know the difference between right and wrong. Yes, but the knowledge of good and evil refers not simply to knowing what is right and wrong but rather deciding what is right and wrong it's not just that adam and eve desired to know what is right and wrong what they were saying in that act of eating the fruit is that we want to be god we want to usurp his authority and become God ourselves. In essence, they were acting in that moment as if they were God. That is what sin is really at its core playing God instead of submitting to what God desires for us to do. So, by the way, in case you didn't know, we are in Adam and Eve's genealogy. So, guess what that means, brothers and sisters? You have inherited Adam and Eve's sin nature. I have inherited Adam and Eve's sin nature. Whether you think you have a moral debt to pay or not, the reality is, according to the Bible, we all have a moral debt to pay for our sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, the immediate result was the total depravity of all human nature and all human beings. How do I know this? Because, as I tell you all the time, you never have to teach your children or your grandchildren to do the wrong thing. They know how to do it. You spend your time correcting them, trying to get them to understand what is the right thing to do. They already have the wrong thing down. Why is that? Because they've inherited that sinful nature from their ancestors, Adam and Eve. Jesus confessing sin... In this prayer, requires us to regularly talk and preach on the law and talk and preach about sin. We have to talk about it because that's how we come to understand where our moral debt lies and then how we can then confess our sins before God. The great British preacher Martin Lloyd Jones says this in his writings. He says, it is the law of God alone that really gives us a right conception of the true character and nature of sin. This is a tremendous proposition. The real trouble with the unregenerate, that would be non-Christians, is that they do not know and understand the truth about sin. They have their moral code. They believe that certain things are right And certain things are wrong. But that is not to understand sin. The moment a man understands the true nature and character of sin, he becomes troubled about his soul and seeks for a Savior. It is the peculiar function of the law to bring such an understanding to a man's mind and conscience. Lloyd-Jones is saying, if you want man to understand their sin, show them the law of God and what it says about sin. Which means, as we just prayed earlier, we confess our sins to God, the sins of pride, infidelity, homosexuality, abortion, lust, gluttony, slothfulness, slander, malice, idolatry, anger, jealousy, greed. We confess these before God because they're all sins. But We also proclaim from the rooftops that the God that we serve is gracious and merciful and willing to forgive sinners. That's the beauty of what Jesus is praying here. Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, There is not true evangelism without the doctrine of sin. And without an understanding of what sin is, I do not want to be unfair, he says, but I say that a gospel which merely says, come to Jesus and offers him as a friend and offers a marvelous new life without convicting of sin is not New Testament evangelism. Brothers and sisters, I, more than anyone else, want to appeal to the love and the grace and the friendship that Jesus offers because it's all true. But what is also true is that God forgives sinners and that apart from Christ's forgiveness, there is no reconciliation to a holy God. That is the gospel. So as uncomfortable as it might be to discuss sin, if Jesus is modeling In this prayer, confession of sin, it must be because sin needs to be confessed. But it does beg the question, why is Jesus confessing sin? Wasn't he perfect? Yes. He's modeling it to us. He's showing us that we need to be doing this. Sometimes when we gather in the evenings before our kids go to bed for Bible study and prayer... Ashley and I will confess our sins during the prayer time for the sole purpose of our kids seeing that mom and dad are totally depraved, wicked, sinful people. They need to see that. They don't need to just think that mom and dad hung the moon. They need to see dad confessing when he says, get out of my way when they're blocking the TV and I'm trying to watch the Alabama game. They need to understand that I'm a sinner, that I fall short. The difference between Jesus and me is that Jesus is modeling this for his followers, and I am living this as a sinner. I am confessing my sin because I'm a sinner. James, in his short little epistle, actually tells the churches, we should confess our sins one to another, he says. Why would we want to do this? Because we're a forgiven people. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can confidently, brothers and sisters, confess our sin and rest in the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer, not because we're proud of our sin, but because we're proud of the one who forgives sinners. That is who we worship. In case you didn't already know, which I'm pretty sure you do, I am one messed up dude. Flawed. Fall short daily. I'm not fooling you up here. You know this. And by the way, I know that about you. You're wicked. You're evil. We're all wicked and evil together. Let's just admit that right now. But the God that we serve forgives Sinners. And we can rejoice if you are in Christ today. Rejoice that you are a forgiven people in Christ Jesus. Tim Keller, it's been a week or two since I've mentioned him. He has this great article that he just came out with not long ago. And he's contrasting the difference between what he calls religious repentance and gospel repentance. Now, normally when we talk about repentance, I quote Thomas Watson over and over again. And everyone should read Thomas Watson's The Doctrine of Repentance. But this morning, I thought I would mention a new resource. And it's Keller's article talking about repentance. Here is what he says describes religious repentance. Number one, he says it's selfish because in religious repentance, we are sorry for our sin because of its consequences. But in gospel repentance, we are sorry for the sin itself. Number two, he says, religious repentance is self-righteous. What he means by that is sometimes we think that we earn God's forgiveness Because of our repentance. But in the gospel, we don't earn repentance. We receive repentance because of Christ's atoning death on the cross. We do not repent to make ourselves right before God. Jesus accomplished that on the cross. We receive the forgiveness that we believe through faith, by grace, through faith in Christ alone. So it's self righteous. Then number three, he says religious repentance is bitter all the way to the bottom. What he means by that is every instance of sin that is repented of religiously is traumatic. It's unnatural and it's horribly threatening, he says. But in the gospel, the knowledge of our acceptance in Christ makes it easier to admit Our flaws, our hope is in Christ's righteousness, not in our own. So it's not traumatic for me to stand up here and tell you that I'm a wicked and depraved human being because my identity is not rooted in who you say that I am but in who Christ says that I am. The only thing that makes me right before God is the righteousness of Jesus. So I don't have to put on a show. I'm not saying that I'm proud of my sin, but I don't have to try to put on a show and act like I have everything together. I know that apart from the righteousness of Christ in me, I'm lost and without hope before God. So what I want you to see is that we can actually delight, in a sense, in confessing our sin and asking forgiveness of our sin because it actually increases our intimacy with God And our dependency on him. That's why we have corporate times of confession. So that the whole church understands. Confessing sin is part of what it means to follow Jesus. You have to do this. Because you're not perfect. So Jesus models for us in this passage. First and foremost. That Christians are a forgiven people. But number two. Christians are also a forgiving people. If we're going to take Jesus' word seriously in this prayer, which, by the way, we are, we cannot simply accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers without extending that same forgiveness to others. As image bearers of God, created to reflect who He is to the world, we have to reflect the graciousness, the mercy and the forgiveness that Jesus himself provides us. Now we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about forgiveness because Jesus talks about it in verses 14 and 15. But we have to celebrate and worship God for his forgiveness towards us, which means that we cannot then go and deny forgiveness towards others. Why can we not do that? Well, At a very basic level, it's a horrendous witness for Christ. To gladly receive his forgiveness, but then withhold that forgiveness towards others is not a good witness. The question is, is there a limit to the forgiveness that Christ offers? And is there a limit to the forgiveness that we are to show others? Later on in Matthew's gospel, In verses 21 and 22 of chapter 18, Peter had this same thought. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Now there is some rabbinic teaching that was circulating around in the early days of Judaism that actually taught that three times was a sufficient amount to forgive someone. So if we think that Peter perhaps knew about this, when he goes to Jesus and said seven times, he is thinking Jesus is definitely going to say yes, that's enough. Peter, if you do it seven times, you have fulfilled all that the law requires. This is probably... What Peter was thinking, only to be disappointed, probably, to hear Jesus say, No, Peter, not seven times, 77 times. Think about that for a moment. By the way, that's hyperbole. I know some of you have tallying how many times you've asked people to forgive you, and you're crossing your fingers waiting for that 77. That's not how it works. 77 is not the magic number. There are some translations that actually say 70 times 7, which would be what? Use your math. 490 times that you are supposed to forgive someone. And that's not the answer either. It's not three times. It's not seven times. It's not 77 times. It's not 490 times. The limit to forgiveness towards others does not exist. How do we know that the limit doesn't exist? Because the limit of God's forgiveness towards us does not exist either. Do you ever find yourself frustrated in your battle with sin? You you confess your sin before God, you repent of it, you do great for a while, and then you fall right back in to that same pattern, whatever that besetting sin might be in your life. I'm not talking about unrepentant sin, that you're willfully deciding that I'm not going to change my ways. I'm talking about the daily battle of waging war against the flesh, confessing sin, asking God to forgive it, trying through the power of the Spirit to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, only to find yourself fall down time and time again. You've heard me talk about one of my besetting sins, and that is when I get behind the wheel of a car. And by the grace of God, through the years, I have made tremendous strides all to the glory of God. But there are times when I'm in a hurry Or I need to get somewhere quickly that all of my sanctification flies out the window. Everyone in those moments becomes my enemy, they break too slow. Or they break too fast. They are late turning on their turn signals. Or they're too early turning on their turn signals. They stop too long at a stop sign. It takes them too long to get going after they've stopped at the stop sign. They go the speed limit when I want them to go faster than the speed limit. They slow down too much on speed bumps. They stop at yield signs instead of yielding at yield signs. They don't get out under the light so that you can turn left. Instead, they stay back to where no one can turn left. My blood is boiling even as I'm talking about it. I think I've made my point. I am a totally depraved human being. And if you're in Christ today, whatever that issue is for you, you know that you need the forgiveness of God. Paul talks about this very thing. Now, granted, he didn't have a vehicle, but this is what he says in Romans 7. Now, if I do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. We will continue to sin As we go through this life, and because we will continue to sin, that means we will continue to confess and repent of sin. Which means that we will be forgiven by God. So we are not forgiven of our sin only seven times, or 77 times, or 490 times. But we are forgiven of our sins so many times that you could begin counting your sins From the second that you are born and you would run out of time to completely confess all your sin before God. That is how much we are forgiven of our sin in Christ. So what does that mean in our relationships with others? It means that we are to extend the same amount of forgiveness towards others that Christ extends towards us. And that does not mean that consequences do not exist for sin. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about showing the same grace and mercy to others that Jesus Christ shows to us. Brothers and sisters, we have to lead the way in forgiveness. The culture the world is not going to understand forgiveness the way that we understand forgiveness. So we will have to be the ones leading the charge in this way. The culture is not going to come around to this because they don't understand the Scriptures. They have not been turned from darkness to light. They are unregenerate. Therefore, we are the ones having to lead the way in this. And I don't pretend to... Understand your circumstances or the things that have happened to you. I don't make light of them. I'm not saying it's not super challenging to extend forgiveness when people have treated you wrong. I know it's difficult and it's challenging. But our willingness to forgive someone not only does not excuse their behavior... But because Christ forgave us, we must forgive others. I think of the story of Cyprian. He was one of the early, early bishops in the early church. He became bishop in 248 A.D., only two years after his conversion. He was the bishop of Carthage. And in 249, the Roman Empire had a new emperor. His name was Decius. And Emperor Decius led one of the worst persecutions that the church has ever experienced. It was called the bloodiest in the history of the church. This happened while Cyprian was bishop. He was able to survive this persecution because he self-imposed an exile on himself. So he escaped. And he avoided it. And that persecution passed. And then another emperor came to the throne, Emperor Valerian, in 258 AD. This time, Cyprian stayed with his people. He did not leave. He was arrested, one of the first ones arrested. He was asked to give information about other Christian leaders, and he refused to do so. So they came up with a plan to execute him. And on the day of his execution, after kneeling in prayer, he gave a gift to his executioner. He blindfolded himself and he surrendered his life in peace, awaiting the treasure of the next life. And they chopped his head off. The key part of that story is that as Cyprian faced martyrdom, he handed a gift to the very person who chopped his head off. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ today, you can forgive because there is a better life waiting for you. You can forgive because it increases Your sanctification and your holiness. And it gives you greater joy in God himself. You can forgive because God forgave you. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, you have to decide to forgive even when your emotions tell you not to. The problem is that so many times we wait for our emotions to catch up with what our mind already knows. But sometimes we have to do what is right and allow our emotions to catch up to our mind. Many times that's how it works with forgiveness. Non-Christians in the room, hear me this morning if you don't already know it. God loves you and he delights in forgiveness. He delights in forgiveness. In forgiving sinners, he sacrificed his own son on a wooden cross to die the death for our sins that we deserve in our place because he loves sinners. Because he is freely willing to extend his grace and mercy to those of us that don't deserve it. And in case you think that in this model prayer, Jesus is just blowing smoke, that he doesn't actually mean what he says, in Luke's gospel, As Jesus hangs on a wooden cross, suffocating with nails in his arms and his legs and a crown of thorns on his head. Luke records this. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe you think this model prayer is just a hoax. And if you don't believe that, What do you do with this right here? When Jesus demonstrates that he forgives the very people who ultimately kill him. If God can forgive the very people who killed him, then he can certainly forgive you and me. Repent of your sin today if you are not in Christ. Believe in faith in the gospel. The only way that you can be reconciled to a holy God is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Following Christ is hard. No one is denying that. We will have to count the cost. Difficult times will come, but following Christ is always worth it. Believe in the gospel today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for forgiveness. If there's anyone in this room today that does not believe in the forgiveness that you offer, I pray that your Holy Spirit will awaken within their hearts the truth of that statement, that you love and delight in forgiving sinners. And for those of us who are in Christ, help us not to fall prey to Satan's tactics, to make us think that we're unworthy, to make us think that we should be ashamed and should never want to return to the church because of what we have done Those are lies. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us through the atoning death of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.